Hallelujah. Thank you, Abba Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Yes, Heavenly Father, we just worship you today. We invite you, God. You are the the king of heaven and the king of the whole universe. But Father, this morning, we just invite you to be the king of our hearts, the king of our homes, Lord. We want you to reign in our lives, God. We want you to rule in our hearts, God. And everything that is in your way, just move it out of the way. Like John the Baptist said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Father, we just make room for you now. We make ourselves ready. And, and we ask you to just come and change us, Lord. Change us today. Do, do what only you can do, like the song says, God. Do what only you can do. We offer our, our hearts to you, God. We offer our worship to you. We offer our lives as a living sacrifice. That is what is holy, pleasing, and acceptable to you. And Father, we ask that you would make us vessels that are, are ready, God, and fit for the Holy King. We ask you to use us for your glory, Father, and shape us and form us like the potter forms the clay. Father, make us into the image that you would have us. Make us more like Jesus today. Make us more like our Savior, our wonderful, merciful Savior, our blessed Redeemer and friend. Oh, Lord, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men oh jesus make us more like you help our our eyes to see the world the way you see it help our hearts to to be in the place that you would have them to be our minds to think of things that are not of this world god to think of the things that are eternal to think of the kingdom of god that when we wake up we don't get worried and anxious god about worldly affairs like the gentiles do but our minds are fixed on christ our minds are fixed heavenward our minds are fixed on eternity lord your word commands us to worship you with all of our mind our heart and soul and strength so many times though god our minds are distracted our hearts are weighed down by the things of life and so lord right now we don't want to be the seed that fell among the thorns that was choked out by the worries and cares of life. Lord, we want to be those fruitful, reproducing Christians that you want us to be, God. That life-breathing, that life-giving church that is filled with your Holy Spirit, God, and filled with love and joy and peace and holiness and righteousness, Lord. We want to be the church that you paid the price for on the cross. We want to be the people that you saw when you were dying on the cross and you shed your blood. We want to be holy as you are holy, God. We want to walk in the light as you are in the light. We want to have the wisdom, God, not of the world, but the wisdom of God, Father. So, Lord, here we are. We don't want to just worship you with our lips today. We want to worship you with our lives, Lord. We don't want to be hypocrites. We want to be children of the living God. So, Lord, here we are. All of us online, Lord, all of us here, I just feel like this holy humbleness right now. 
that we just want to humble ourselves before you. Oh God, your word says if we humble ourselves before you and turn from our wicked ways, you will hear our prayers, you will hear from heaven, and you will heal our land, oh God. Does our land not need healing, oh Father? And so we humble ourselves as your people. All your people, we join together with all the saints this Sunday morning, all the true saints all across America and the world, and we just worship Jesus. We exalt the name of Jesus And we invite you, Lord, to come and have your way. In your precious name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Good morning, Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. How are you all doing today? I know uh, there's more uh, uh, gathered online watching with us today. And again, I just want to kind of introduce myself. I know... Everyone here, you know, in the room knows me. Maybe there's a few online that, that are tuning in today for the first time or that are, that are, you know, tuning in often, but they've never been acquainted with myself. But I am Pastor Brett Hennis, and I'm, I'm basically, you know, Pastor Joe's, one of his kind of assistants here. And uh, I serve the Lord as an evangelist overseas. I lived in Brazil for seven years with my family, and we were missionaries in Brazil. And we just want to inform you guys that God is raising up a new generation of missionaries and evangelists. Currently, I'm, I'm working with a team of uh, 22, I think it is, people now that we're going to be training them and going back to Brazil at the end of this year. And uh, I have actually a news that I just wanted to kind of announce this real quick. We just, we just made our, our newest newsletter. We haven't done one of these in over a year. But uh, we're going to leave some in the back. And um, you can also go to our website. It's www.thegreatharvest.org and find more information if you're online. But we just created these awesome newsletters, and it just talks about what we're going to be doing for the rest of the year. We're going to Africa in November to do a massive gospel crusade. There's going to be estimated possibly two or three million people attending this crusade and they're coming to hear the gospel. Nigeria is a huge battlefront country right now. There's a lot of Muslims taking over that region uh, and we're going to be there preaching the gospel. It's going to be actually a very dangerous trip. Uh, We're going to have armed guards with us wherever we go. And more, more than anything, I hope we got the angels of the Lord and the presence of God with us. Amen. Because, uh, you know, we don't live by the sword, amen? But we're going to, it's so dangerous. We need actually like armed security where, with us. So we ask for your prayers. That's coming up in November as we're going to preach the gospel to possibly millions of people live in person. Uh, and then Brazil, we're going in December. And again, we're taking a team of 22 people with us. And these are all like evangelists, fire-breathing, gospel-preaching evangelists. And some of them are, are younger in their faith, but we're going to be training and equipping them. And our goal in Brazil is to actually do a training camp, a training school. And we're going to be training about 100 saints to preach the gospel and evangelize and share their faith. And we're not just going to be having a, a, a retreat. We're going to do a, like a retreat for one week where we're training and teaching them. But then we're going to go out and take them into the communities around and preach the gospel with them. So they're going to get, you know, the biblical and practical, and they're going to get the actual experience by going out and doing it. 
So we're asking you guys for prayer, and we're believing God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Brazil, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in Africa. And so just join us in prayer. You know, if you want more information, I gave you the website, and we have these newsletters for you guys. So that was my only announcement. Um, if you have a Bible, I hope you came with your Bible. If you have one at home, please go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I have the awesome joy and, and privilege of preaching probably my favorite other topic. You know, as an evangelist, we kind of, like I said before, we're kind of like a one-trick pony, a one-track, you know, train. We always just preach the gospel, preach Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father. We always have like one message, right? The cross, Christ, and Him crucified. But um, this morning... I felt led to teach and preach about the Holy Spirit. It is my other favorite topic. I can't have I, I can't say he's my second favorite topic because he is the same. He's God, right? There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And you know, I love preaching about the Holy Spirit and teaching. Uh, this is one of the biggest things I did in, in Brazil. You know, they're very Pentecostal in Brazil. They're very open to the Holy Spirit, but there is a lot of confusion. A lot of times it becomes like Corinthians. And so what I, I loved equipping them and teaching them the Word of God and what the Word of God says about the Holy Spirit and who He is and what He's come to do. And it was just so amazing seeing the fruit of that in their lives. I mean, a lot of them were believers for many years, and they never heard these things, although they're written right in the pages of Scripture. You know, there's a lot of confusion out there about who's the Holy Spirit. And what is he doing today? Amen. We all have seen it. We've all heard it. But the word of God is very clear. And the word of God is the truth. And the word of God doesn't change. Amen. And so um, I have the joy and privilege of sharing with you about the Holy Spirit today. So before we get started, um, I'm going to go ahead and pray again. But it's sorry. Let me give you the verses. It's Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verse 1 through 4. Then we're going to go to a couple of different places, and uh, we're going to get into this. It's pretty deep. Sorry, just give me one second. I got my other notes here, and then we'll pray. So Acts chapter 2, if you have a Bible at home, if you have a Bible in hand, I'd love for you guys to read this with me, to see it for yourselves, that it's the Word of God. So let me just kind of paint the, the picture for you, kind of give you the background. I know a lot of you already know. I know a lot of you have read and studied this and, and understand this. You know, we're, we're a charismatic Bible preaching church, which means we do believe in the Holy Spirit. All Christians believe in the Holy Spirit, but we also believe that He's just as alive today as He was yesterday, amen, and that His gifts and His power is present amongst us. And he distributes them according to his grace. Amen. And that's what the Bible teaches. And we're going to get into that more. But uh, I want you guys to kind of rethink all that was happening historically at that time. Because it's very important to understand the context of why things were being done and what was actually happening. And, and the purpose behind all these things. So I know you guys know the history, but Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
he died on the cross at this point okay he was already he had already died for our sins and paid the price and then he resurrected on the third day as he prophesied it he said three times destroy this temple and i'll rise it uh, i'll rise it up from the grave he he prophesied his own death and resurrection three different times and he told his disciples that i was going to return okay and he told his disciples when you find in john chapter 14 15 and 16 that was right before the last supper right before his crucifixion and you see jesus kind of preparing them for his departure because he said when i when he dies he's going to rise again and then return to the father but he said it's better for you it's better for you in john's gospel he said when i go away it's better for you that i leave and they were, you know, you have to imagine the disciples were, were distraught. They were disturbed by this. They were confused by this. How could it, have you ever imagined just being one of the 12, right? Being like one of the 12 disciples. And he had also a group of women that went everywhere and ministered with him. Being one of those few select women that he chose or one of those 12 men that he chose. And they got to physically walk with Jesus. See his miracles manifest everywhere they went. See him heal the sick and and raise the dead and cast out devils i mean he had so much power and authority you know demons would come and cry out and they saw all these things and they walked with jesus the the image of the invisible god the manifest presence of god on earth god the word became flesh god became a man and he was amongst us his name's emmanuel god with us and they were there with him what could be better than that? Have you ever asked yourself, what could be better than actually living and walking with Jesus on earth? I mean, there's nothing better than that in my opinion, right? But he actually said, there's something better than what you're experiencing now. That I'm going to go away, and when I leave you, it's better for you. How is that possible? You see, because Jesus is emmanuel which is god when translated that means god with us okay but he said when i go away i'm gonna pray to my father and he's gonna send you another and his name is the counselor the comforter the helper the holy spirit and he said he's with you now god with us but when i leave and pray to the father and i pay the price and pave the way he's gonna come and be in you He's going to come and be in you forever. So you see, the difference is God with us, and then the Holy Spirit is God. uh, Christ, sorry, is God with us. The Holy Spirit is God in us, living in His temple, reigning, ruling, filling, using us. And He promised to send this Holy Spirit and then he dies he rises again he gives the great commission in mark 16 in matthew chapter 28 he gives the disciples this great command this is after he's risen and he's about to go back to the father it's right before he ascends he gives he gives us the great commission and he tells all of his disciples gather up on the mount of olives i have my last final command to give you and he gives it he tells them what church you guys know the great commission right What's the Great Commission? Help me out. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
and teach them all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Mark 16, he says, go and preach the gospel to all creation. Go and preach the gospel to all creation. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Those who do not believe will be condemned. And then he says, and these signs will follow those who believe. He talks about tongues and taking authority over demons and healing the sick. It's all there in the Great Commission. But then he says to these same disciples, there was about 500 gathered at that point. So we know his, his following group kind of dwindled down because <laughs> of the, the persecution and the cross. But he had about 500 followers at that point, and he tells them, but there's one thing missing. So you, you've seen my miracles. You've seen my ministry. You've a, you're a personal eyewitness to all that I've done and all that I've taught and all that I've said. You've received my teachings. My word has cleansed you. You're my children. I've chosen you. You've, received, you've seen the resurrection. You've seen the death and the resurrection. They were all witnesses to these things. And you've, get, you've received my command to go into all the world and preach this gospel and make disciples. But there's one element that was missing. There's one thing that they didn't have that they desperately needed and they could not go without. And it was the Holy Spirit. And you see, if... If they, they, I always say this, they had the best Jesus train, they had the best Bible school you could ever go to. They walked with Jesus himself. They walked with the Son of God. For three and a half years, they walked with the Son of God. Right? They had the best Bible college you could ever have, the best training you could ever have, the best teacher. But yet they couldn't do what God was commanding them without the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's really the most important thing. It's, it's not just His power, it's His holy presence in us and with us wherever we go. And if they needed that, if, they, if Jesus said, don't you go do what I'm commanding you until you receive this gift. Don't you dare think you can do this in your own strength. Don't you go and do anything until I send the Helper. If they needed him, then how much more do we? Amen, church? And this is where I get in conflict with churches. I mean, if, if it, you know, there was a Chinese missionary. He came from China to America as a missionary. And he came and he visited all of our great cathedrals and all of our mega churches and all of our giant, you know, TV screens now that they do service on. And you know what he said? He said after visiting all these mega buildings and palaces and churches he went to the leaders and he said you know it's amazing to me they said what you like it here you like it he said you know it's amazing to me how much the american church can do without the power of god that's what he said <laughs> i mean you know he's like this just baffles me you know but it's crazy how much we do without the holy spirit we we, we just had a prayer meeting last night and we're going to pray as we get into this. But I was like, you know, guys, we need to pray because we can do so much. But are we doing God's will? We can, we can go out and do things in our own idea what, what seems right in our hearts. We can go out and preach over here, preach over there. But where is God leading us? What is God saying for us to do? And we need to seek Him. 
So this is, I'm just setting the stage for you, okay? So let's go ahead now and pray. But let me read Acts 1 and we'll pray. So right before Acts 2, we have Acts 1. And Jesus commanded them to assemble together and not to depart. This is Acts 1 verse 4. Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of my Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So this is Jesus speaking. He said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Father, we just thank you. We just ask you again to speak to us, God. Your word is alive. Your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. Your, your Holy Spirit is with us, God. We know he's present everywhere. You're omnipresent, Lord. Every part of you is present all over the place at the same time. It doesn't even make sense to the human mind, God. Your Holy Spirit, David wrote, Lord, where can I go and flee from your presence? If I ascend to the highest mountaintop, you're there. Or the lowest valley, you're there. Even in the very depths of the sea, you're there. Lord, we know you're present. We know your Holy Spirit is here. But we want your Holy Spirit to be in us and made manifest through us. We want your Holy Spirit to rule us and lead us and guide us and teach us and help us, Lord, and comfort us and strengthen us for the work that is ahead, God. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak through the Word of God. I pray for supernatural things to happen right now, God, in this room. For, for supernatural signs to even come upon us, Lord, as I'm ministering. Even as Peter preached, God, people got baptized with fire in the Holy Spirit. And I ask you, Lord, to fill us afresh, God. Your word commands us to be filled daily, to be not drunk in wine, but filled with the Holy Spirit. So just come, Lord, speak to us and fill us for your glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So now we're going to go to Acts 2. I want to read together. If you're online, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This is the coming of the Holy Spirit. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house, the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to be upon them divided tongues as of fire, sitting and sat upon each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Amen? So this day was the birth of the church. We call it the day of Pentecost. We call it, you know, the beginning of the church, the, the beginning of the promise, the beginning of the new covenant in a sense. You see, we talked about this last night at this prayer gathering. 
When Jesus prayed for the church, right, he prayed for his disciples in John 17. If you read, that's, that's really, uh, Pastor Joe was teaching about this. You know, the Matthew prayer in Matthew's, uh, I think it's five, that's really a model of how to pray. But in John, in John's gospel, John 17, that's the real prayers of Jesus, the actual prayers he prayed. And when you read these prayers, he talks about his body, those who, will believe, those who did believe in him at the time and those who would believe in him. And he said, these, Lord, make them one. Make them one, Lord, as I am one with you. You know, Francis Chan, he's one of my favorite authors and, and preachers. He, he, he got stuck on that verse one time. Lord, make them one just as I am one with you. And then he thought about it. It's like the Holy Spirit hit him. He said, Jesus is actually praying the will of the Father. You guys know that, right? Like Jesus never prayed anything outside of his Father's will, which means what? It's going to be done, right? Anything we pray in accordance to the will of God in the name of Jesus, it's done. And Jesus never prayed outside of the will of God. So he was asking something that was God's will. He was praying for something that was God's will. And what he prayed was that we, as followers of Christ, would become one, would become so united that it would look just as Jesus is united with his Father. Like Francis got stuck there. He's like, wait, I don't know any believer that I'm that united with. I don't know any person that I'm that one with that I could say I'm just as one with them as Jesus is to his Father. You see how powerful that is? And he was saying like, as the body of Christ, you know, we have all these limits on how much people can be in our lives and how much fellowship we can have with other people. And we're so individualistic in America. You know, Jesus is saying, just as I'm one with my Father, I pray they will become one. But do you know that that prayer was answered? That prayer was answered when the Holy Spirit came down, amen? When they gathered together as one, the Holy Spirit made them one in Christ. You see, you're baptized in Ephesians. It says, when you become a believer, you get baptized into Christ. Paul wrote it this way in Galatians. You were a sinner, but you've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I, he said, who lives. It's no longer you who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. You get baptized into Christ. You die with him, and then you rise with him. But you also get baptized into the body. In Ephesians, Paul wrote about that, how we get baptized. There's one Lord, there's one Father, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. It means you get put into the body of Christ at at when you're born again. You get baptized into the body of Christ. You become one with the body of Christ on earth. No matter how you feel, no matter what you think about your brother, no matter how much you trust them or don't trust them or how much you love them or don't love them, you are eternally one with the body of Christ, whether you like it or not. I hope you know that. <laughs> You've been baptized into Jesus and his body. You know, you hear Christians all the time now, now that it's the new trend. You know, oh, you don't got to be saved to go to church. You don't got to be a Christian to be a part of a church. You don't have to be saved you don't have to go to church to be saved but when you're saved you become a part of the church whether you like it or not you get it and and whether you want to be in the church or not you can't be saved and not be in the body of christ and there's so many rogue you know like these rogue christians out there they're under no covering there's no fellowship around them 
I mean, when you look at Acts, that's not what God modeled. He told them all gather together. And I wanted to focus on a couple things today. This isn't even my main thing, but I'm calling today's message the fellowship of fire. Okay, the fellowship of fire, which we're going to get into. And a lot of times, you know, when we read Acts, we always focus on the oneness that they had, the unity, right? They came together in unity. That's kind of like, we, we say that's maybe one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit was poured out in that place at that moment. The kind of the why. Um, but I want to focus on when, you know, there was a pointed time for this to happen. I want to focus on the timing of God for a second. So let me back up real quick. We know that the Holy Spirit was poured out on a united church. We always talk about that, right? They came together, it says in uh, verse 1, that they were in one accord and in one place. So we always tend to overemphasize that, and it's very important. Let me just reemphasize. You know, in, in the Psalms it says, Blessed, how good and pleasant it is when my brethren, when brethren dwell together in unity, right? God loves unity. God loves the body of Christ coming together, brothers dwelling in unity. It actually says that He hates a brother seven things the lord hates these things he detests one of them is that he hates a brother who causes division a brother who causes dissension right it's something he just despises he loves unity he loves love and community you see god created community when adam and eve were born he created marriage he created the first community on earth it was god and mankind it was adam and eve and the lord in the garden God created a family and a community, and He said, be fruitful and multiply. Bring more into what? That same community, that same fellowship, that same oneness. There was the oneness and the fellowship. And that's what He longs to bring people back into. Oneness with God, fellowship with God, community. And so He, he got these believers finally together in one accord and in one place. In the same psalm, it says that he pours out oil when brothers are in unity. It's like so pleasant to God that he pours out oil upon them. That represents what? The Holy Spirit. The blessing of the Lord. Oil represents the blessing of God. The anointing. So we know these things already. I'm not going to overemphasize that. I just want to reemphasize it. You know, Paul talks about fighting for the unity. But when the day of Pentecost had fully come. I want to hit that for one moment. You see, God has an appointed time that He does things. He has a divine calendar, a divine timetable, and no one can, you know, there's a scripture that says no one can thwart His plans. You understand, we have the free will to go against God's will, but He has a sovereign plan that no one's going to touch. He has a sovereign purpose that no one's going to touch and no one's going to come against and no one's going to stop. And, and this day was the day of Pentecost and He chose that day to pour out Himself, His presence, His Holy Spirit on His people at that appointed time. And let me just read a little bit why. Okay? So this was approximately six weeks after the resurrection of Jesus and after His uh, ascension back to the Father. And remember, the promise was that the Lord would send supernatural power upon these disciples when the Holy Spirit came. And He chose to do it on the day of Pentecost. The word Pentecost means the 50th. 
because it was the feast on the 50th day after the feast of first fruits began. Okay, so they had this feast. We all know the feast of the first fruits, right? It was the harvest time. I love that stuff. Great harvest ministry, you know. It was the harvest time, and the harvest would come in, and they would bring in, it was according to the law of Moses, but they would bring in the first fruits unto the Lord. It was actually even practiced before the law. Abraham practiced it, right? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham, he offered a tenth of the first fruits of all of his possessions. But in the law, it was commanded for them to do this, to celebrate this festival and to offer the first fruits of all their harvests, all of their increase, all of the, the Lord provided for them to offer it back to the Lord. Amen? And so this was a very specific festival in Israel. It was very, very, it was one of the largest festivals, one of the most important. Judaism, it was commemorated as the anniversary of the giving of the law. So this was like one of the key elements, you know, in their whole faith, in their whole religious practice, one of the key festivals. And it was thought, so it was thought, there's no maybe clear, clear evidence, but it was thought that God gave the law to Israel about 50 days after the exodus. We don't know exactly, I guess, but that's what the scholars suggest. About 50 days after the exodus, that's what they celebrate this 50th day, the day of Pentecost. So in our calendar, it would be like in May or June. We don't know exactly again. But it is possible, entirely possible, I believe it is biblically sound to teach that God gave the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in contrast with how Moses gave the law in the Old Testament. And you have to understand history and, and culture because he was transitioning these people into the new covenant. He was transitioning them into the better covenant. Remember when Jesus did his first miracle. And you guys understand, like we're talking about Holy Spirit, but you'll catch the train here in a minute. When Jesus did his first miracle of the water into wine, right? The wedding in Cana. He, he, he came in and he, he did this miracle like the wedding feast was going on for maybe days. They ran out of wine. It was the hor most horrible thing to happen at a Jewish wedding. You know, you run out of food or you run out of wine, right? I mean, that, that's the same for today. And, but these celebrations would go on for days, not like ours like we do. And they ran out of wine. And so Mary comes to Jesus, you know, we got a problem. A lot of scholars suggest Mary was a part of the wedding planning. It was a relative possibly of the family. And she's upset. You know, it's almost going to be more shame on her name, so to speak, which she's already full of shame because of Jesus, right? Because everyone thought she was an adulterer, not the mother of the Son of God. And she's like crying out to Jesus for help. Jesus, we got a problem. You know, there's no more wine. And he says, woman, it's not my time. You see, there was a divine timing for the Son of God to be made manifest or known. But something happened there. You know, I don't understand it fully, but the compassion of Jesus, his mother, not wanting her to bear more shame than necessary. And he says, or sorry, she says, she, 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 something happened because she could feel or see that Jesus was up to something so she goes and tells the disciples just do whatever he says <laughs> you know she expected something to happen 
Just do whatever he says. And then he tells them what? To go fill the water jugs. He turns the water into wine. But what was interesting about that, the first miracle in his ministry, the first kind of manifestation where his glory, the Bible actually says he made his glory known, but only a few understood it. Only a few saw it. What he did was he brought the best wine out last. He brought the better wine out later. He brought, and that's what the, the guy, the host of the feast, he takes the wine, he tastes it, and he said, this is a strange thing. He's like, usually, after everyone parties and gets, you know, has fun and feasts and they're already drunk or they're drunken, you know, they're drinking a lot and they're full, usually they, they bring out the good wine first and they junky wine at the end because no one cares anymore. Everyone's so full, you know. But he goes, you chose to bring out the better wine last. And what that was a picture of was the new covenant versus the old covenant. The, the, the covenant of the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ and the Holy Spirit in the church versus the Old Testament and the law and the commands. You see on the, the day that the law was given, you see a lot of comparisons. But Moses was up on the mountain with God for 40 days and nights, right? He comes down from the mountain. He comes down from the heights and he brings the covenant down. Jesus, where did he come from? He came down from heaven and he came down, sent from the Father, and he brings down grace and truth. The Bible says Moses brought the law. Jesus came with grace and truth. Moses comes with a covenant of commands. Jesus comes with grace and truth. Moses comes and he, he's about to give these ten commands to these people. And it's, they're wandering 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus comes after 400 years of silence. He comes and he gives them this com the, the covenant. But the problem with the law was it was external. It was external commands written on stone. And it couldn't change them. It couldn't save them. It was actually to lead them to the Savior. But he goes to give them these commands. And they're already breaking. The, the craziest scene is God's up there speaking to Moses 40 days. He's getting all these commands. And he goes down. And as he's bringing this covenant to them, they're already breaking all the Ten Commands. They're down there worshiping idols. They're down there. The first command, have no other gods before me. The Lord says, I am the Lord. Worship me only. Right? No other gods. The second command, don't make graven images. Don't make any graven images of the Lord or any creative thing and worship it. And they're there with a golden calf breaking these laws. So the, the law, the covenant of Moses, it brought the understanding of sin and it brought death. When the covenant was given, 3,000 people died. That's what, the, that's what the old covenant brought. It was called the ministry of condemnation. The ministry that brought sin and death. But in the new covenant, we read on, maybe for homework, Peter gets filled with the Spirit and he preaches. And 3,000 people get saved. 3,000. Look at the contrast of the covenants. Look at what's the better covenant. The law that brought 3,000 to their grave or the Holy Spirit who came and saved 3,000 people in a moment. Right? It's the, it's, it's the covenant of life. It's the new covenant of the body and the blood of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what God is trying to get them to see is He's fulfilling His covenant the old is done now. The old wine is gone. The old covenant is completed. I'm ushering in a new age. 
I'm ushering in a new covenant. And see, that it's so important to understand this, guys, because we live in this new age. We, we live in this time where the Holy Spirit is being poured out. And the whole purpose of this, and there's so a, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians are stuck. They don't even live in the kingdom age that, they're, that they claim to believe in. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not walking in the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit. Because they actually are stuck in old things. They're stuck in man-made traditions. They're stuck in reformations, in history. You know, you go to Finland. We were talking about the Lutheran church there. They sing songs from 500 years ago. Their churches feel like something out of the Stone Age. You go there and there's no instruments. There's just a big organ. It's like, guys, we live in 2022 almost. Do you know what age you live in? And I feel like so many people have missed this. You see, because when this day began, it was supposed to continue until the coming of the Lord. You understand? This, this outpouring of God's Spirit was the beginning of the new covenant. And the new covenant was to do what? Continue. What was the Great Commission? Tie this with the Great Commission. So I'm going to pour out my Spirit. I'm going to fill you. You're going to have dreams. You're going to have visions. You're going to do signs and wonders. But wait, this has to do with the Great Commission, right? These signs will follow those who believe. What you're supposed to do is go and take this gospel to all creation. Preach this gospel to the ends of the earth. Make disciples of all nations. And when this happens, okay, when this happens, we're supposed to continue this until what? The end of the age. So what was going to happen was this covenant was supposed to continue through till the end of the age but a lot of things have been lost a lot of things have been lost guys a lot of things have been forgotten and and western culture okay which i'm going to get into that now but western culture has desensitized supernatural so much and spiritual life so much you see there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. Can you say that with me, guys? A mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to be upon them, and it sat on each one of them, tongues as of fire. Tongues as of fire. Understand, when the Holy Spirit came, there was supernatural power. There was supernatural phenomena, all right? It's not always going to look the same or feel the same when God himself shows up. But I heard it even from a Calvinist. He said, you know what it's like when you say you've been born again? It's like you've actually gone out and been hit by a Mack truck. And to say nothing's going to change in your life is ridiculous. To say you've encountered the living God and been born again is to like, it, it's literally like saying you've gone and stood in front of the sun. What's going to happen? Your whole presence is going to melt. Your whole demeanor is going to change. You can't encounter God, the supernatural God, the almighty great I am. You can't encounter Him, be touched by Him, be saved by Him, and not change. It's impossible. The mighty rushing wind represented power, and the tongues of fire represented his presence and purity. 
All right, we're going to look at that for a moment. You see, because the children of God are supposed to carry this fire. The children of God are supposed to be vessels or conduits of this power. Okay? We might not experience a physical wind anymore. Or we might. We might not see a tongue of fire hanging on Pastor Joe's head when he walks in. But guess what? The fire of God is in his bones. Amen? And you see, we were talking about this guy who got saved. He was a, a pastor's kid. He grew up in the church, totally like living like a heathen, drunken, partying. Then he got saved. Within one month, God used him to heal, what was it, like 12 people or something? He was a brand new believer. And God would tell him, this is in America, guys. This ain't in Africa. He was a little young prodigal son. And he came in, got saved, rededicated his life, and the Lord started speaking to him. Go and pray for that man. Blow on his feet. He can't walk. Blow on his feet. He's like, what do you mean? And he would blow on the kid's feet, and the kids start walking. You know, because the, the breath of God, the Spirit of God is in you. The Lord God comes with power. You see, wind represented His power, and fire represented His purity and presence. You see, the children of Israel were very familiar with fire. They were very familiar with fire. I'm going to go back to one story, which we're all very familiar with in Exodus. But they were very familiar with fire. They understood. You see, Moses, one of the first appearances of God himself on earth. One of the first appearances of God. No one's seen God because you can't really see him. But he made himself, man, like he uh, appeared in a, a fire burning bush. I don't even know what it was. No one knows what it was. It was a bush on fire, but the bush didn't get consumed. It was just weird. It was a supernatural phenomena, right? And Moses, we're going to read that, but they were familiar. That was the first time the presence of God really like manifested to a man in a burning fire. Then you have Elijah who did what? Called down, you know, fire from heaven, representing what the power of god the presence of god he was taken up to heaven in what a chariot of fire you have the children of israel in exodus how did god lead them how was his presence amongst them it was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud covering them in the day what do you need in the day in the desert it's hot you need a cloud you need shade what do you need at night to keep off enemies and give you light fire so you see, the presence of God was constantly you know, manifesting through fire. And, and the Bible says our God is an all-consuming fire. So the fire represented something to these people. And they, they understood it to be the presence of God. Now we see in Acts. I love this too. It's in... Well, in Acts, it says he, the Holy Spirit appeared as tongues of fire. But let me read this to you. Then we're going to go to Exodus. If you want to follow me, go to Exodus chapter 3. You could turn there. But you see in Revelation, I'm just going to read this. You don't need to turn there. Go to Exodus instead. But in Revelation chapter 1, John, the final apostle who's alive on earth, is encountering the book of Revelation unfolding right before him. He's caught up into heaven. He's seeing the Son of Man, Jesus, the risen Lord. And he says, 
that this Jesus spoke to him and said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what, I, what, and what you're seeing, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then John said, I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of these lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about his chest with a golden band, and his head and hair were white as wool, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes was like a flame of fire. His eyes was like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. There's the power again. But you see, God, there's something about the nature of God that carries in it the, that fire, the all-consuming fire. And, and the fire in his eyes represents his purity. I've, I've actually heard of people who've had some level of encounter with Jesus. And th- actually, this happened in Brazil. There was a lady getting delivered of many demons. And she actually encountered like a vision or some type of a, a experience with Jesus. And she literally saw him reaching out from heaven and, and calling out to her, Come! Take my hand while she was getting delivered. And she saw in his eyes fire. And she was an unbeliever. She was like a pagan that practiced all these like crazy voodoo stuff. She didn't even know what the Bible says about him. But she saw fire in his eyes. And she's like, it pierced me, man. It pierced me. It's like pure holy fire. So in Exodus 3, let's go there. I'll just read from verse 1. Just catch the context quickly. Now Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he, he led the flock to the back of the desert, and they came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel, the angel of the Lord, appeared to him in what, guys? In a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, The bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will go and turn aside to see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn? (laughs) He was confused. And then when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am. We can stop there. The whole point of reading all that and the whole point I was making, you know, I was reading these scriptures and I was asking, I was asking the Lord, God, why did you appear? Why did the Holy, because the Holy Spirit is God, right? He's the presence of God on earth and he can make himself manifest however he wants. There was times he appeared as a dove, right? As, as the baptism of Jesus in Matthew uh, 4, sorry, Matthew 3. Right before Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus, he was baptized, he came out the water, the Holy Spirit appeared as a dove. So we know the Holy Spirit's not a bird. We know the Holy Spirit is not fire. So I'm asking God, why did you appear like fire in this moment? Why did he come in the, in the form of fire? And the Lord reminded me the importance of fire in his people. You see, purity... And his presence is the mark of a true Christian. You guys understand what I'm saying? 
it, it sounds so simple, but try to grasp this. Purity and His presence is the mark that He's with His people, that He's actually in your life. If there's no purity, if there's no change in your life when you come to Christ, if you're an alcoholic and then you claim to come to Christ and be born again, you get baptized, but you're still an alcoholic, I question your salvation. You see, if you're, if you're, a pros- if you're sleeping around and, and you, you like sexual immorality and then you claim to come over here and give your life to Christ and be crucified with Him and you get baptized and you're in the church, but you're still living in that life, and there's no purity, there's no change, I question if you've been born again. You see, because the new covenant carries with it a fire. John the Baptist said, look, I'm baptizing you with water, guys. It's just a symbol. It's just a ministry I've been given to prepare you for someone who's coming that will do something greater. He's going to baptize you with something greater than water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to change you. He's going to purify your soul. He's going to cleanse your heart. And I'm not condemning anyone. We all struggle against sin. But as a Christian, there's power, guys, that breaks that stuff off of you. That's why Pastor Joe, Freedom Church, we do deliverance ministry here. We do deliverance, amen? Because there's power in this gospel. There's power in the Holy Spirit. There's freedom, guys. And there's fire, You know, a lot of Christians, they just need to get touched by the fire of God, man. That's why we pray for it, because it's biblical. It's biblical. Jesus, John said it. Jesus did it. And what's so important, catch this, guys, what's so important, we're kind of landing in a second here. Just give me another minute or two. Is this good or not? Is this encouraging you guys? But the fire... So, so this Holy Spirit, this is the beautiful thing. He came upon every single believer in the room. Isn't that amazing? So, so back to the Old Covenant, which was not the better one. Remember, the New Covenant's the better one. Under the Old Covenant, in contrast, there was only selective giving of the Holy Spirit. Selective giving and temporary empowerment upon Prophets, priests, kings, and men that God would use. You see, but in the New Testament, there's a permanent giving of the Holy Spirit, and it's to all His believers, the men and the women, the young and the old shall see dreams and visions, the men and the women shall prophesy. Amen? You see, there's no more selective giving. They weren't looking all at Peter, guys, like, wow, look at that big flame on Peter's head. Look at the apostle John. He's got this big fire on his head. I want his. Anoint- they all got the same Holy Spirit. They all got the same anointing. And that's what we can carry, guys. And this gift is for you. Peter preached at the book of Acts right after this. He preached to the whole nation that was gathered there. All these thousands of Jews came because they heard the sound. They heard the shaking of the building. They didn't understand what was going on. And they came. And Peter preached the gospel. And then they began to be convicted of their sin. Because he said, you crucified the Christ. It was you. Your guilt, his blood is on your hands. Remember what they cried in, in in the courts with Pilate. They said, his blood shall be on our hands and on our children. And he said, you crucified your own Messiah. He was sent for the children of Israel and you crucified him. And as the Bible says, they were pierced. They were cut to the heart. The actual word means 
They were pierced, like the same word that they use for the piercing of Jesus. It says their hearts were nailed. Their hearts were pierced by their sin. They crucified their Messiah. And then they said, what shall we do to be saved? They just repented. He said, repent and be baptized, all of you. And you, for the remission of your sins. And then he said, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift that was promised to you and your children and all who are afar off. You called a curse on you and your own children. You said, Lord, you, you told Pilate, let his blood be on our hands. You cursed yourself and your families. But guess what? The Father loves you. And he will save you and forgive you. And he'll give you his blessing and he'll give you his Holy Spirit if you repent. Isn't that powerful? And they all, the, all 3,000 that believed received it. All of them. They all received it. And you see, guys, there's no more selective giving. There's no more temporary giving. You receive this gift, and you can walk in the freedom of the Spirit. You can walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Man, I don't know any other Christian life than this, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's dead. You see, you know, my, my brother, my, my, one of my pastors now, evangelist Daniel Kalenda, he's, he, you know, I love his, his life and his ministry. It's so supernatural, man. It's so supernatural, it convicts me every time I'm around the guy. And it's normal to him. You know, like, people being raised from the dead at these crusades, it's like normal now. And I'm like, you know, this is what the life of believers should look like. The Mark 16, it says, these signs will follow those who believe. You know, he's not special. He'll tell you himself. But you know what he says? He said, you know, Christianity is either supernatural or it's nothing. It, you know, Christian, look at the book of Acts, guys. This is the model. There's no, forget Freedom Church. Forget Calvary down the street. Forget this hero of our faith, this reformer of the church, whatever. The book of Acts is the model, guys. They're all great men of God. You know, I give honor. I give honor to Pastor Joe and the heroes who went before us. But listen, the word of God and the book of Acts is really what we should be doing, right, guys? And, and this is the picture that we see. And then people think, okay, so you have all these, these educated minds and they started thinking through, well, you know, really the, most of the big stuff was happening through the 12 apostles. It wasn't all of them. That's not true. Philip, Philip and Stephen, the martyr, were doing signs and wonders. You guys know that? They weren't even considered apostles. Then they'll say, oh, well, it's because the apostles laid their hands on them. That's why they could do these signs. Guess what? All of the churches Paul was writing to had supernatural phenomena in them. So that crushes that argument. Had supernatural power being poured out in them. Philippians had supernatural generosity and love manifesting in the church. Colossians, Ephesians had supernatural wisdom being given to them. Corinthians had supernatural gifts and signs and wonders manifesting so much that it was just going crazy. That's why he wrote the letter, you know? Like, guys... Let me just stabilize you a little bit. Love, you know. He's like, S but all the churches, supernatural things were happening. And I, I really, this is what I want to land with, guys, home. I feel like in the Western world and in the church in America, you know, we've just compromised with normal Christianity. We've compromised with a natural Christianity. It is supernatural, guys, or it's nothing. I mean, the Bible commands us in Ephesians 4 or 5, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That word is a, is a continual. So what they got here, what they got right here, what you read about, 
we're commanded by God to have daily in our lives. Do you understand that? We're commanded by God to be filled daily. Filled with what? Dunamis power. Purity and holiness. Righteousness. Joy, love, peace. What did, what did the Holy Spirit cause them to do after all this? They began to sell all their belongings. Giving to one another, whoever is in need. They had a supernatural love marking them. You know, we can have, guys, all the power and signs and wonders. Without love, we're nothing, right? That, that was the biggest mark. He said, unless you love one another, that is it. That's how the world will know you're my disciples. But that's the Holy Spirit's job. It's His fruit. He will give us love for one another. And I just want to share, guys, this from my heart. And we'll close in a minute. The church in the Western world, we got to wake up. We have to get, we have to get back to the Bible. And we have to understand what the Bible says. And we have to know what we know and receive these gifts and receive what the Holy Spirit is doing. You know, we've become so dis, uh, unfamiliar with the supernatural and disconnected from the supernatural world, you know, that you have a church like Bethel, okay, who I'm not, I'm not going to defend here today and I'm not going to fight against them or defend them. I'm just going to use them as an example. I've had some issues with them in the past, but let me just tell you something. God began to manifest supernaturally in their church, not because they're better, not because they're greater, and it doesn't mean everything they did is right. I'm just saying God began to manifest in their church because they were open to it. I believe that's why. They were open to it. And <clears throat> so it, it was so sad, you know, what you see in America that you got this little church who's just loving God, worshiping God. Maybe they got some issues like every other church. And the, the supernatural begins to manifest. And you know what the whole church in America did? Majority attack them. I was even almost pulled into it. I'm thinking, oh, this is like Harry Potter stuff. This is weird. They had a glory cloud that would come into their services. Okay? And no one understood what, why. No one understood what it was there for. But... All these people begin to mock it and, oh, you know, this, that, and the other. You know, it's a bunch of heretics there and they're a bunch of weird signs and wonders people. And Because supernatural is so unfamiliar to the body of Christ, we have no clue what God's doing anymore. We don't have a clue. And they, you know, I listen, if you have an issue with Bethel, I'll just give you some information. Go to a new, they have a new um, series out. What is it called again, Matt? Rediscovering Bethel, okay? Look. I don't agree with everything they've said and done in the past, but I can say this from my heart. I think they're true brothers in Christ. And I think God is manifesting like that many places in the world. We're just too blind to see it. And people were mocking them and scoffing them. I almost got pulled into that. And they have this cloud thing manifesting. And you know what? I listened to the testimony, and now I really believe. They said, you know when it first came? It was when no one was watching. We were just like before we had service and after we would have like these prayer warriors that would stay and fast and pray for hours and days, the glory cloud would come into that room first. And I was like, that's God. And then, and then it began to kind of trickle in to their worship time and then the whole service would have it. It happened like 20-something times. And they said, look, we didn't even know what to do. It's supernatural. We didn't know what was happening. And people think they're these weird, you know, California hippie kind of, you know, believers. Some of them maybe. But, you know, the thing is, one of the pastors was more skeptical than all of us. He was listening to all the doubts. He was like, maybe something broke in the AC. 
and he was like getting tests and examinations done and stuff and he was skeptical he was a human like us he was trying to test this thing and nothing this thing would i saw a video there's still a video on youtube there was literally it looked like snow coming upward from the ground just going up and and what they said was it would just create when it came into the worship service it would just create this awe of god and this humility and this like just god is here just like the burning bush moses was the greatest prophet you know when he encountered god what he said let me go and see this weird thing what is this strange sight i'm seeing he didn't understand it because it's god guys it's god this this skeptical pastor he said the last time this cloud uh, uh, manifested in their worship service he's like god blew my mind because he's like i was doubting the cloud literally gathered into one section and like spiraled and then just poof, exploded and disappeared he's like if if you saw it there's no way he's like there's just no way He's like dust flying everywhere. I don't know what that was, but he goes, this glory cloud just like formed and poof. Look, I don't know what that is. It's the glory of God. It's the manifestation of his presence. It's God making us in awe of him. But I tell you one thing. It's to point you to Jesus. It's to point you to the fact that there's a God who lives above the natural realm. Why did Jesus walk on water? Why did Jesus multiply the fish and loaves? And it says the disciples didn't even understand it. They were seeing a miracle in front of their eyes, and they didn't even understand it, guys. It's because God was showing us something about himself. He lives and dwells above. He, his thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our, our, our ways. He, he can do things that are way beyond our comprehension and our natural abilities. He's supernatural, guys. He's the almighty God. He's the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, it's not to just show off. God's not a showboat. God's not a, you know, God's not a magician. God's not a showboat. God's not a fake or a fraud or a show-off. He's coming to do something to show himself to people. He's coming to display himself, to manifest himself. When he appeared in the burning bush, he said, Moses, come, it is I. When he uh, showed up in Acts, it was so that, boom, the disciples could be filled with power and preach the gospel and do the mission he called them to do. He always has a purpose behind all these things that he does, guys. You see, but understand this last thing. The crowd, when they saw and came and heard these things, they were confused. When human, when natural people come in contact with a supernatural God, they will not understand it, guys. You see, and and we have tried, I believe, the compromise in the church today, and this is the last thing. We want to be so natural that we're normal to the world we want to be so natural you know that's why no deliverance in churches people come to freedom and like crying out for help because they can't find a one church who delivers people from devils you know they people are, are hurting guys they need supernatural healing they need supernatural deliverance they need supernatural salvation and these signs will follow us if we believe god will do these things again People say, hey, look, it ended when the Bible was completed. Then why were the church fathers writing about all these supernatural things? Long after the Bible was completed, it never ceased, guys. It never ceased. 
God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did before, he can do again. And he does it again. He's always moving. He's, he's always working. Jesus said, my father is always at work. My father is always working, guys. If this is his kingdom, guys. This is his kingdom. This is what it looks like. And I don't want any other Christianity. I don't want any other type of boring, you know, normal, natural Christian life. That's not what my Bible teaches me. That's not what these saints live like and, and walk like and what happened in their churches. So I won't accept it. I'm not going to compromise with it. And I'm not going to compromise with the world to appeal to them. They won't get it. But they're supposed to be in awe. That's what we're supposed to operate in power and in purity for. They're supposed to see the church and either run for the hedges or repent of their sin. That's what they're supposed to do, guys. When people walk into these doors, they're supposed to experience God and run from it or, you know, run into Him. Because these signs and wonders, they won't make people believe. You know that, right? As signs and wonders will not make you believe, but they'll confront you. God has chosen signs and wonders to express and manifest himself it's a part of his testimony to the world just like the cross just like the church just like everything else in creation that he does when he operates in the supernatural it's to show the world who he is they still can choose to not believe they can choose to believe that's their choice so what's your choice today guys after you see all that jesus is all that he's done how he died and rose again how everywhere he went Signs and wonders, miracles and healings took place. And, and the fact that he's alive today, what will you do with Jesus? You who are watching online, what will you do with this message? Whoever's heard, hear what the Spirit is saying. Let this land in your heart. Let this take off in your life. You're called to live a supernatural Christian life. You're called to walk in power and in purity. You see, we are supposed to confront the world. We're the light that shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness doesn't understand it. But are you hiding under the bushel? Are we afraid? Are we compromised with normal and natural? You see, I want the supernatural to become normal in my life. I want the supernatural to become normal in my life because that's my God. So before we pray, I'm just going to ask, you know, online, if you're hearing this message, if you're here today watching online, wherever you are, let's just join in prayer and ask God to help us now to walk this out. You know, you've received the new covenant today. You've received something that is considered a treasure in the kingdom of God. And you have a responsibility now to live this out, as do I. And so let's just pray in humility and ask God to help us and fill us again like he did in the days of old. So Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We thank you, God. We thank you for who you are. And Lord, we know you're at work, God. You're always working. But we don't want to be, Lord, like the children in the desert of Israel for 40 years who saw the most miracles and signs of all they saw a red sea open they saw manna from heaven every day water coming out of rocks and yet they still did not believe their hearts were hard they hardened themselves against you lord 
every sign, every provision, every supernatural miracle you did in their midst was to show them who you were and that you love them and that you care for them, God. And that you are their God and there is no other. There is no idol like you. There's no other God but you, Lord. So, Father, everything that you've done in our lives, it's to point us to the fact that you are the true and the living God. And there's no one else in heaven but you, Lord. And therefore, we should serve you.